I'm Luke Simmons. And I am Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. Hey, welcome back to the King of Culture podcast. It's awesome to have you all with us today. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm here with Seth. And uh, Seth, this is going to be uh, one of your last episodes uh, before you head off on sabbatical. That is the plan. No podcasting on sabbatical. It's the rules. Yeah, so we're not going to be doing that. We will be re-releasing some episodes that uh, are some of our favorites from the archives that uh, perhaps you haven't listened to in a while or maybe ever. And, you know, one of the things I find is as I go back and listen to different stuff, I go like, oh, wow, yeah, that was interesting. Like, I kind of forgot about some of that. So hopefully we'll be able to refresh some folks in that process. But Seth, tell us a little bit um, about what you're doing for sabbatical. Like, Like, first of all, why are you doing this? Why do we do these? And what are you going to be doing? Uh, the reason why I'm doing it is because you're making me. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's called submission. No, the we've have created a practice of this or, or, or a habit of this. That you went on a sabbatical. Like you went first about eight years ago. Does that sound right? Yeah, 2015. Yeah, and had a good experience, recalibration, formation, uh, re-energized, entering back in. And there's kind of been just a cycle of who should go next summer, who should go next summer. And there have been some that weren't summers, but lar- largely they've been summers. And part of what I'm thinking about is uh, there's an astonishing amount of people that I've looked up to, respected, been shaped by for good and for bad, who have burned out, flamed out, disqualified themselves. And I don't think anybody plans on doing that. Plans on having their heart grow cold in all the wrong ways, uh, and having becoming embittered to the process of trying to form God's people week in and week out. I don't think anybody starts off in church leadership going, "I'd like to become a a crusty, salty, frustrated version of myself that's cynical and hopeless, and just kind of doing my time as a hired hand rather than as a as a called person." And so I don't feel like I'm on the verge of that, but I also feel like this sense of apprehension about the state of church leadership and church leaders across the U.S. And there's there's almost just a grief, maybe even anxiety I have about, mm, yeah. I don't want to, nobody wants to end up there. I definitely don't want to end up there. I don't think I'm close to being there, but why not? One of my uh, doctoral supervisors, a lady named Tasha Chapman, wrote a book on resilience, pastoral resilience. And there's just more and more data, best practices, recommendations that there be these sabbaticals as a form of rekindling. You know, yep. there's there's rest, recalibration, rekindle, redeployment are kind of like the four phases mm-hmm. I'm thinking about. So the first phase is rest, second phase is recalibrate, rekindle, and redeploy. Yeah. So that's how I'm thinking about the sabbatical in those four chunks, those four phases. Yeah, what well, I, I mean, I realize that like there's some places that people get this, right? Teachers inherently sort of get a sabbatical every summer. Yeah, Intel gives them other. Intel does, but it's not a standard common practice everywhere, right? So on one hand, I, I'd go like, man, this is for sure like a huge privilege. Like I don't think any pastor should feel entitled to it. Yeah. But I think because we can do it, it's really worth it. it like it's it's just such an investment. You know, there's a, a quote that I love about, you know, leadership that says, you know, a, a woodcutter never wasted time sharpening his axe. Yeah. 
you know, you, you yeah. stay sharp, you rest, you invest in that kind of long-term health. It's just going to serve everybody. You know, I mean, I, I think that happened, you know, whenever I went on sabbatical, you know, I came back better. I think I've been a better leader since I think, um, also just seeing the plurality of people step up. I mean, it's just, it's a good thing for the church and I'm, I'm pumped for you, man. I'm glad you can do it. So give us just a quick snapshot of some of what you're looking forward to about this. Yeah. So Taylor and I are seeing a counselor. We've already met with him twice and we'll do that a couple more times, uh, individually here and there. I'll be up North for a couple of weeks, spend some time with my grandma uh, do some yard work, go to California for a month. Then there's like a kind of a no man's land zone there <laughs> where we'll try to find some retreat centers or uh, monasteries for cheap and have Tao and I alternate doing some as much alone time as we can. Uh, then the last week we're going to do a book through Costco, just Tao and I all-inclusive thing in Cancun. So oh, sweet. No matter how bad the first part goes, the last <laughs> week will be great. Yeah. And then we'll be back for Fuse in uh, end of August. Yeah. So that's the chunk there. I'm going to be reading Harry Potter books. Okay. So if you have concerns about that, <laughs> email them to me the next three months and they'll be auto-archived. So I won't <laughs> ever have to hear about it. <laughs> I, I am curious about that. Like for you, like, okay, you're going to read Harry Potter. Are, are you also taking some Herman Bovink and Calvin and, you know, whatever the latest, like, like, do you have any rules for yourself about that? Or is it like, no, I'm just going to read what I want to read. And my rules, are the first uh, chunk, I can't do anything that I might be tempted to turn into sermon content or, okay. or podcast content or teaching content, like nothing that I, I could tempt to see as useful, hmm. rather just something that I'm going to enjoy. Last time I think I read something just because I purely liked it was Harry Potter in middle school. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I just went back to... Yeah, so every 15 years, just... Uh, every other book I've read always feels like, oh, I could use this, or it, I don't have like a... It's called it secondary joy. Yeah. Joy because I'm going to use this and it's going to be helpful. Uh, kind of like buying a tool at the hardware store. You know, yeah, like, I'm sure. This will help me do what I'm trying to do. Uh, so that's how I've thought about reading is like going to Home Depot, whereas I'm trying to lean into uh, just the the joy of receiving yeah. something. So, cool. so we'll do that. I do have John Calvin's threefold. Uh, it's a three-volume work with all of his sermons on Job. So it's about eighteen hundred wow. pages on eighteen hundreds of ser- eighteen hundred pages of sermons on Job. Yeah, if I'm in a really good place, <laughs> I'll go there towards the end. But yeah, as one does, you know. Like <laughs> if I run out of J.K. Rowling and I want to go, wow, know, okay. I get, if I get sick of like idolatrous pagan witchcraft and I want to lean into some orthodoxy, <laughs> I'll. There you go. Okay. So, so there's well, that. Yeah, man. I mean, everyone listen to this. We love you, and uh, we're rooting for you, and hope it's a great time. And and really, it, it is. I think. I mean, I you haven't told me this, but I assume that it's your preparation and reflection on what you have coming that really helps shape the conversation we're going to have today, which is going to be about rest. Yeah. So yeah. not everyone's going to be taking a sabbatical for the next few months, uh, but I think a lot of us, as we head into summer, are going okay. This is a season where hopefully some things slow down. Hopefully there's some vacation. Hopefully there's some weekends away. Hopefully there's a chance to catch our breath and and rest a little bit. So it it is a really natural time to begin to reflect on that. Yeah. And you said something earlier that I think I want to use to tie in this whole discussion. Okay. Which is you said investment and rest as investment. So even as I talk to some people at my sabbatical, um, 
and I love these people and what they say is like, you deserve it. I'm so excited for you. And, and that's kind. And I, I do like when people say I've been doing a good job. I don't not like that. Like sure. I'm not a psychopath, you know, <laughs> so, um, but more than seeing it as rest as reward, because I think if you think about rest as reward, I know a lot of people who feel guilty about resting, feel guilty about getting solo time away from their kids, about having deep times of prayer separate from their spouse, about invest in, in that. That's kind of the guilt I think is rooted in this. Like, I don't feel like I've earned this. Mm, yeah. Or I don't feel like I'm, there's other people who deserve this more than me. And that is certainly true. That's one of, I think that's the weirdest emotion about going on sabbatical is I think there's probably a thousand people at our church who in a sense need it more or deserve it more. Yeah. But that's uh, the framework of rest as reward. Mm. It's uh, compensation indirect. You know, it's, it's a, it's a form of, and that creates either entitlement or bitterness or guilt when you rest. Like either, I deserve this. Yeah. You know, uh, I worked for this. Or I should have this and I don't have it. Or I have this and I shouldn't have it. Therefore, I'm guilty. And there's like that. So, whereas I think reframing rest as reward to rest as investment is much more biblical and it's much more... Uh, productive i think because the a well-rested well-fed emotionally healthy connected self is the best thing i can give to the people around me and so like uh, when i'm taking time off when you are uh you drop the kids off at child care and you go and get a pedicure instead of doing a workout class you're going this is an investment into myself so i can continue to be a <laughs> attuned, connected, loving mother. Yeah. Like that's rest is investment. I think we need more of that because mm. the culture of self care is good, uh, but self care for the sake of self care feels just like embellishment, or I'd even use the word masturbatory. Mm. Uh, it's just kind of I want to feel good, so I will, you know. And it doesn't feel um, like a lot of people will not get on board with it because it feels so self oriented. But if you think about it through the lens of calling or what God is trying to do through us in mission and purpose, then the more rested, connected, self-aware, emotionally healthy, not frazzled, not fried uh, person I can be, then I'm like me resting well is actually me investing in my neighbors, my family, yeah. my calling, my work. So I think the paradigm of rest is investment versus mm -hmm. rest is reward will help a lot of uh, over-responsible people who probably don't Sabbath well or who uh, work without resting too much. Yeah. Uh, because I've, I've thought for a long time, like no experience of me is better than a bad experience <laughs> of me. That yeah. if, if I show up as a pastor and I'm fried, aloof, disinterested, not connected, like I'm contributing to the church hurt, church wounding yeah. narrative versus if I'm, deeply connected to Christ to myself, if my marriage is doing well, if I'm loving my kids and I'm a whole person, not only is that good for me, my wife, my kids, but also it's good for the whole community. Yeah. So as you think about being a whole person resting, uh, there's different ways to think about rest, right? So we're going to talk about, I, I think, a number of different kinds of rest. Yeah. Right. Not just sleep, though that could be part of it, not just vacation, but so what are what are some of these kinds of rest that you want to talk about? So I think the first type of rest we see modeled by God 
in creation, that he works and then he rests from his work. And so that's rest as like vocational rest. Okay. It's rest as non-productive. So it's, it's a ceasing to labor, ceasing to work in a way that's your occupation or vocation. It's, uh, it's yeah, this wasn't God was worn out and needed a break. Yeah. Right? He wasn't tired. He wasn't fried. He was just saying, no, I, I did good work. I'm going to rest now. Yeah, God didn't take a nap. God didn't go uh, read a novel. You know, he, 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 uh, he just stopped working. So this is rest as non-activity. It's rest as non-work. And that's like the most basic definition of rest I think we have. So even in, in the Exodus when God commands his people, six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. You know, that's a picture of uh, receiving uh, blessing from God that you, you can't, like God works forever except for the one day he rested in world history. You don't work forever. Uh, it's a picture of non-slavery. Uh, it's a picture of creation. Like you partner with God as he makes the world and he did a six days on one day off thing. In our current American culture, we have a five-day work week and then two days of rest. But that's actually, people like Americans get this like, Americans work too much. It's like, well, compared to what God expects of people, which is, so, so I think yeah. even that. Yeah, and I, I actually think, I mean, for a lot of us, it's like we kind of half work hard. Yeah. And half rest well, or yeah. maybe not even, you know, it's like everyone is kind of on every day. Yes. Um, so especially now that, you know, you're working from home and you've got your device and you've, you're connected to communication and all these different things that connect you with work. It's like, yeah, every day you're kind of working and every day you're kind of resting, but there's not ever like a, Hey, work hard, bust your butt, get it done, focus, drive. Okay. Now rest. Yeah. Yeah. The, and then you leave your cleats at the locker and you go home and, yeah. and, and I saw that. So I think the first and biggest dimension of rest is non-productivity. So for someone who works a five-day work week and then Saturday they're productive doing chores or handling bills or like the goal is non-productivity in any like classic sense. So how do you think about that? I mean, I instantly go to, you know, my wife, your wife, yeah, um, women who are moms who, you know, even if you're trying at your best, you know, as a husband to help out and not just, you know, dump raising your children on your wife, but you're trying to participate. I mean, a lot of moms just feel a, a real high level of responsibility and a lot of need, right? Like, uh, you know, and, and obviously f for you, caring for Olivia right now is not productive, but it is like a vocation. It is a calling. It is a job that you and Taylor both have, right? You can't go, sorry, Liv, it's Saturday, you know, feed yourself, <laughs> Feed yourself, clean yourself. Yeah. So, how how do you think I'm about holding you? Wh yeah. What does vocational rest look like when your vocation is like other little human beings that you're trying to keep alive? Well, this is partly where I think uh, a lot of the Pharisees, the Jews, started getting wonky. Is they tried to get this general principle of uh, one seventh should be restful, of six days you shall work, one day shall rest, and get really prescriptive and universal sweeping terms. Hmm. And I think that what rest looks like, what work looks like seasonally changes from person to person. And so some of what we even try to do now is like there are times that, like uh, so Taylor will serve on Wednesday nights, and there are times I'll come home from work, and she'll leave two hours early to like go and do whatever she wants. Hmm. 
And it's like, there's a slot where we can rest from parenting, you know, that's, yeah. that's appropriate rest. That's not abdication. <laughs> that's sure. not, uh, you know, locking them in their bedroom and saying, right. Mom's resting, get out of here. You know? So, yeah. so, so I think there is like a collaboration there. I was talking to someone the other week, um, who they haven't found that rhythm yet. I'm like, go to mountainside fitness, pay $91 a month for your whole family. You can take your kids to childcare twice a day and, uh, you can drop your kids off and take your laptop and go and ride zero miles an hour on the recumbent bike and watch a movie. You know, like so. <laughs> so there, so there. Sometimes it takes like creativity because if parenting is work, like yeah. finding a way to uh, to leverage various assets, relationships creatively, I think is important. Yeah, it's not uh, just a good idea. And so I found that for me as a husband and as a dad, ten minutes of creative thinking on behalf of the month coming up ahead goes a really long way on actually like blocking out rest. Hmm. Like I, you t- say more about that. Like calendaring date nights. Okay. Trying to make sure there's certain days I'm home early. So like Taylor can go and get time. Um, not parenting. Yeah. Uh, trying to coordinate uh, babysitters, trying to make sure I get clear on other night classes I'm teaching that I haven't communicated to my wife yet, you know? So, so there's not like those, I was expecting yeah. to get the kids down by and you're, and you're saying it doesn't take a ton of work to just be thoughtful, but it does take a little bit of focus inter- uninterrupted. This is interesting. It takes some work to actually rest well. Yeah, like like you said earlier, that if you half work your whole life, then you'll half rest your whole life. Yeah. But if you kind of put the plow to the ground on commitment to rest, then you can carve out, block out, wall off, boundary off uh, times of rest. So Okay, so the first kind of rest is vocational. Yeah, vocational. It's, it's resting from productivity. Anything else there before we go to the next one? No, I would say even on that one, it gets uh, interesting. So, like, my, my wife finds cleaning the house restful, which uh, I don't, to be, <laughs> just to be clear in that. Yeah. Because I think part of it is what she's working for. Like, there's this kind of chaos that feels like messiness or messiness that feels like chaos. Mm-hmm. And so cleaning the house is like a way of resting from chaos. Okay. You know, because you have these kids that just make messes. Right. And now the kids aren't making a mess, and I can unmake that mess. And there's, like, a creational, like, order out of chaos sure. thing. It's funny. We, we went away, Molly and I, for a couple of days last week, and we got back, and I was asking the older girls, how did it go? And they said, oh, it went really well. And But they said, the house gets messy so fast. And I'm like, so fast, yeah. <laughs> I know. Your mom basically just walks around and, you know, picks up. You know, and, and Molly's like works hard to not be their like maid or butler, but it's like it it's a lot of mess. Yeah. And so sometimes it requires like when I put the kids to bed, I would like to put the kids to bed and then go straight to the couch and hang out with my wife. But what I found is that if I put the kids to bed and then do thirty minutes of let's Picking stuff let's, up. Let's clean yeah. this place up, then the rest that you get to have on the couch is like yeah. better because you're not like yeah. Resting in the midst of chaos, but in the midst of order. Huh. And so there is a, a bit of creating the environment in which you're able to rest. Yeah, that's interesting. It's part of like the work of hmm. getting to the rest. Okay. So, yeah, so it's non-productive um, and to some degree it has to be carved out, blocked out, even by creating space, either literally in terms of cleaning or uh, time-wise in terms of calendar. That's vocational rest. Okay. What's the second kind? The next type of rest I think about is physical rest which is like hormonal. Uh, it's about 
uh, stress. It's about uh, your eye twitching from being tired. It's about uh, the feeling of I why I just like a, of tiredness yeah. of physical like bodily tiredness, right? So, I, ironically, like that rest can physical rest like that's so that the biggest chunk of this, without exception, is sleep. Mm, sure. Um, going to bed early enough, waking up when you're done sleep, done resting, which I think I've 5% of people do that. Mm. Like I go to bed when I should and I wake up when I should. I think there's a personally a lot of over caffeination that I think is marks my life as representative of Luke's as well. He, I drink my iced coffee, his iced coffee. Yeah, like the tiredness in your eyes. So there's like that 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 physical rest, which has to do with like sleep hygiene. Um, being purposeful about setting boundaries with technology, uh, being aware of like how broken your sleep is. Like when you have young kids, like your sleep is very broken. When you have old kids that stress you out, your sleep is very broken. So yeah. like, I think, uh, the people who sleep the best, um, are the people with least responsibility in the world. So, mm-hmm. so I just, just being honest about the way that various forms of stress, uh, don't just tax you, your, your like soul, but your body yeah. emotionally. Yeah, I find if I'm going to sleep in, I have to do it on the front end. Yeah. You know, go to bed earlier. Yeah. But, I mean, because I get these kids, probably like you do, and a lot of people listening, it's like, it's clockwork. I mean, they could go to bed at 7.30, or they could go to bed at 11.30 p.m., and they would wake up at 6 a.m. on the dot every time. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So if I'm going to have any chance to sleep in, I got to do it early. Yeah, one of my kids woke up at 4.05 today, and um, I was done sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> sure. They went back to sleep, but... I was, I was uh, like my engines already started, and it's yeah. So a big part of this is is working is to sleep. get good rest, good physical sleep. Yeah, what, what else? And I think like exercise, ironically, can be part of physical rest, yeah. despite it being non physical rest, because you, you like the stress on your system, the blood pressure, vasodilation, uh, it all leads to like hormonal resets, uh, cortisol levels are are taxed. Uh, there's like the the feeling of relief from the tax of your system that leads to uh, lower heart rate, uh, slower breathing, uh, like the feeling after the, the pain that is yeah. a feeling of rest. Uh, alcohol, you know, inhibits sleep because your liver works all night long. So mm. some people, uh, especially like alcoholics, they're always physically tired because mm. their body's always trying to get the toxins out of their body. Okay. So... Uh, addicts addictions so like the idea of like someone could take a percocet and feel really rested despite actually their body not resting at all hmm. because their body's working to yeah extra hard to, to get the gunk out so that's interesting because i get uh, you know i know people who like and i have times where i feel like this like oh man i'm tired i, I a drink would just kind of be relaxing you yeah. know and and what you're saying is like eh, not that you can't do that um, obviously be careful about that, right? Because a drink every so often can lead to a drink every day, can lead to multiple drinks. Per, I mean, it, it can yeah. that can snowball in a way that's really unhelpful. But you're saying even like just at a physical level, that may not actually be all that restful. Yeah, probably having a glass of wine with dinner that is just received as gift, that it can have like a, a totally appropriate calming effect. But if you drink five glasses of wine and then pass out, you will wake up feeling tired. Yeah. Uh, and not rested. And so there's, it's just kind of like Ecclesiastes uh, 4 talks about 
sweet is the sleep of the laborer, but the full stomach of the rich won't let him sleep. Mm. You know, it's like going to bed hungry makes it hard to sleep. Going to bed super full makes, sure. it, hard, makes it hard to sleep. So there's yeah. this kind of everything in moderation dynamic that, sure. uh, you know, I've regularly lost sleep because I ate two whole ribeyes or four cheeseburgers or that pizza by myself. And then, <laughs> then I'm like, oh, can't, you know, and so, so it's same. Same with wine, except there won't be fullness, but literally your body's working to digest and process this stuff. Yeah. And so there's, like I've even heard it said, there's like this three, two, one idea that you should stop eating uh, three hours before you go to bed. You should stop drinking anything two hours before bed. Uh, and then you should stop using electronics one hour before bed. And if a lot of people did that, their sleep would get way deeper and better hmm. because they're Stomach wouldn't be working on digesting. Their bladder wouldn't get full, so they'd have to pee at 2 a.m. And uh, their uh, mel- melatonin levels would be high because they're not hitting um, their light with eyes. They're, mm. not, they're not hitting their eyes with light. Yeah. So if you're looking to create sleep hygiene, the 3 two, one is a big deal. But, yeah, the physical exercise, the lounging around, uh, taking a nap when you can if you feel like you need it, that's all part of the, the physical rest. Okay. So then there's another kind of rest, or the next kind of rest. There's a couple more. You call it emotional rest. Okay. So, so we've got vocational rest, physical rest, now emotional rest. Yeah, and this one's the most difficult to, like, grab hold of, uh, largely because uh, we're bad at it. Like, there's, there's a term uh, called over-functioning, mm-hmm. uh, where we are hyperactive, we survive, like, uh, especially when folks have grief or loss or trauma um, or even just difficult things doesn't have to be trauma. There's like this need to function survival mode. They call it like, I can't sit here. And like, I remember like when my grandma passed and like trying to grieve while you have uh, a six month old and a two and a half year old, like you can't just like, hold on. I'm trying to feel my feelings. Like it's just like you're on all the time. And yeah, it's same with work. Like it's difficult. Like it's to some degree appropriate and at past a certain point inappropriate to like be at work, not working. Mm-hmm. You know, like space for grief is good. Most employers are going to understand if for a season there's sure. teariness, uh, chunks of time. But at some point if you're grieving eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, nine to five for a couple of weeks, like, Hey, you have to do your job. Sure. You yeah. have to function. So there's yep. like a, and everyone's workplace and manager has a different threshold for what counts as tolerable. Yeah. But you have to function. You have to go on doing that. And so that taxes. So, so what, what's the difference between then just emotional self-awareness and emotional rest? Emotional rest is the rest that comes after having processed and felt your feelings. Okay. So you there has to be a deep, like working through of grief, a naming of noticing of experiencing of sinking into our emotions, like deep things of gratitude, deep things of loss, uh, letting the anger give way to sadness, uh, letting the irritability give way to uh, a loss and, and like going there, allowing your body your mind, your soul to go into those places, um, to name them, to work through them, just like your liver has to work through alcohol, so like your 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 soul has to work through grief. 
And most of us just bottle it up and store it and go on functioning. And that makes it a place where our emotional like regulators uh, are taxed because they're kind of like living in this denial or they've got stuff bottled up yeah. or they're not working through it. They're not letting it out. There isn't that release that comes with uh, sadness or tears. Mm. There's just functioning, which leads to chronic anger or addiction. Yeah. So most most men end up being addicted or angry. Mm. They don't end up in a soft yeah. uh, place. And they're not resting. Like, we're not resting when we haven't grieved our griefs and mm. mourned our losses. Because... Uh, our body wants to, our soul wants to, our, our heart wants to, and we're insulated from that. And yeah. so that's probably the most... Yeah, it makes me think of, like, I'm imagining someone who's, like, holding a really heavy weight over their head. And yeah. it's like, you hold it, you hold it, you hold it, you hold it, you hold it. And you're like, it, I mean, it's it's taxing you just by having to sustain it, right? And at some point, whew, you let it go. You let it out. You let it down. And now there can be rest, right? And so uh, what I'm hearing you say is that's kind of what we do with a lot of our grief and a lot of our sense of loss and our disappointment and our frustrations is we just hold them, hold them, hold them, hold them. And we think, well, I'm just, it's no big deal. I'm just standing here. But it's actually like really causing a lot of pressure on our overall system. Yeah. And so I'm calling emotional rest, resting from functioning. Huh, Okay. Uh, so that's different than resting from work, but functioning is like the going on as though nothing was wrong. Uh, so there's like an emotional, uh, I'm no longer participating in the grind of my day-to-day relationships. I'm taking a step back in order to process deeply. And I do think that has to begin personally. Like there are times when Taylor will ask me about thing, things. I'm like, I feel like I need to personally pray and feel this before I talk to you about it. Like, Mm. I don't want to, like, I have to like do the self-awareness and like be self-aware in the presence of God and then come to you with it. Now, sometimes like talking with it about Taylor with it helps that process. But sometimes I feel like before I talk to you about this, I feel like I have to get clear on what I'm actually thinking and feeling. So I'll go by myself. Mm. I think that's where counselors could be helpful. Yeah. Counselors often just serve as a mirror. Like, let me help you see you. And in, in a helpful, non-judgy way, that if we find that we're not able to actually enter in that space, I think that's one of the markers of needing counseling. Yeah, is you when you can't uh, work through that stuff, when there's like a feeling of stuckness, or certain things triggering you that you don't think count as triggers. Like we've said before, that you know when you get a ten dollar reaction to a two dollar problem, that eight bucks came from somewhere. Sure, figuring out. Yeah, what was that? Where did this come from? Yeah. And th- that's where therapists, counselors can be helpful. Even just like really healthy, connected, good friends. Like, hey, can we have like a not talk about mm-hmm. basketball moment and yeah, work through some of what I'm doing yeah. here? So okay. So I, I, I think there's uh, that dynamic on the emotional rest. All right. So we have vocational rest, physical rest, emotional rest, and the fourth kind? The fourth kind is spiritual rest, which is resting with God. This is the ability to enjoy his presence without trying to prove anything to him. Like I think about how uh, in Hebrews 4, it talks about how those who are in Christ have rested from their works, meaning that because of the blood of Jesus, I can be in God's presence without trying to prove something to him. 
it's kind of like the difference between like the first time you meet your your girlfriend or your spouse's parents. Yeah. There's like this, I kind of need them to think something about me here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Because uh, they have like, there's some degree of veto power here that would be a huge bummer. And so even when you're secure and stable and have self-esteem, there's still like this kind of pressure cooker moment where like, hi, I'm Seth and here's why I'm not going to destroy <laughs> your daughter's life. <laughs> you know, like, so yeah. There's some of that. Whereas, and in the presence of God, that'd be entirely reasonable. Hi, Lord Almighty, who has the power to send people to hell. I yeah. would like it if you wouldn't do that to me. <laughs> you know, sure. So, so there's uh, that desire to impress or to be something. And what author of Hebrews is getting at is like when, when you're covered in the blood of Jesus, that goes away. There's no proving anything to God. There's no impressing God. There's no projecting yourself to God. There's no PR campaign to God. Yeah. Just the ability to enjoy the Lord Almighty and be at rest, at ease in his presence. Hmm. Like, yeah. Like, we'll talk that's about... A, man, that's a great phrase, at ease in his presence. Yeah, like, we all have friends that we can be at ease in their presence. You know, like, uh, we had a phrase, this is before we had kids, uh, because our our measure of, like, what counts as good friends is, like... Uh, People we like and our kids like their kids. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. But before it was like, are these like uh, comfy clothes friends or <laughs> jeans friends? You know, like, yeah. do we have to like clean the house before they come over? Sure. Or can we have on our workout shorts and uh, let the house be a little messy? And so there's like the people that on the basis of your connection, it's just easier to be at ease in their presence. And there's other people that, kind of first impression, still kind of feeling each other out. That's not at all to, like, judge the character or quality of people, but you're just not quite at ease yet. Yeah. Shared experience isn't quite there. Like, you haven't had, like, vulnerable moments where you're able to talk through stuff. And so I think the the ability to be at ease in God's presence is a gift that we can receive from the blood of Jesus. And Eugene Peterson talks about this. He talks about how the Sabbath is both praying and playing and how we play by enjoying God's creation. We play by uh, doing things we want to do. That's recreation. But then we pray by being with God and enjoying, enjoying him. And so on that spectrum, I tend to be pretty good on like Sabbath of playing. Um, but I'm not as great as like, what does actually enjoying God look like here in this space? How do I pray especially? So how do I be mindful of, connect with, be at ease in God's presence while I'm resting and enjoying the things that God has given me? So as I think about that, I mean, Hebrews seems to be describing the rest we have spiritually before God as like a, just a statement of fact. Yes. Like it's a reality. It's there. You don't ever have to earn anything before the Lord because the blood of Jesus gives you confidence and access and boldness. So, but you're talking about okay, there's that just thing that's true of those who are in Christ, but you're talking about actually taking time to actualize it and enjoy yeah. God's presence yes. and enjoy the access we have. Yeah, to be mindful of it, to appreciate it, to, like, it makes me think about how when Taylor and I first got married, every now and then I'd be at work and I'd realize I'm going home to my wife, mm -hmm. not to those weird roommates I had two, three weeks ago. You know, like I forget of like, and and uh, th like the 
there's a new status I have and sure. things are better now and this is exciting. And so like we forget like, oh, so it's like a mindfulness and awareness, a gratitude for uh, appreciation of access, connection to um, God's affection for us and towards us. And, and I think yeah, it's, it's mindful enjoyment of those yeah. things. It, it'd be like if you're hungry and you forget you had a great snack in your backpack, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I have access to that. I have it right now, yeah. you know, and as opposed to going on feeling this feeling, like I think we walk around feeling this, I want to prove myself, and, like, oh, I don't have to do that. And yeah. isn't that great? Thanks, Lord. And just so it's mindful awareness, connection to prayerful orientation to the God who's with me, who doesn't need me to add anything to his salvation. Yeah. So, so that's more about a walking in that reality uh, than just kind of giving propositional assent to that once a week at when we take communion, but being able to walk through that. So that form of spiritual rest, I think, is like the, the bullseye of this because we won't really be able to rest in the other ways well if we're constantly like insecure about our relationship to eternity yeah. or God himself. Yeah. So we got vocational, physical, emotional, spiritual rest. Yeah. So imagine someone's listening and they're like, gosh, over four. <laughs> like, I don't feel like I'm getting much of that at all right now. And man, uh, there's not a ton of light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't feel like to me. And even just thinking about the work it would take to create that kind of rest is like, gosh, I just don't know if I can do it. Um, is there a starting point you would recommend? Well, I think being mindful of your resources and we're pretty bad at asking what we need or because sometimes we think like, I don't need it. I just want it. And so saying what we desire, what we want. And so it feels vulnerable to tell other people what you want because that's a very rejectable thing. Hey, I would like this. I want this. And to be told no, when you kind of hang yourself out there in terms of desires is scary. And so that same kind of fear you might've had in like in middle school, asking someone out on a date, some people might have that same fear of asking a parent or a friend or a spouse, hey, I would like three hours of time by myself away from my kids once a week. Like the same level of anxiety people yeah. might feel asking for that here because you're telling someone what you want and it feels scary. So I think being able to tell someone what you want and ask for help and achieving it. So if you're very financially well off, you can just hire a babysitter and bada bing, bada boom. It's easy. Mm-hmm. Do it if you can. If things are very tight financially, that require more creativity, uh, which on the one hand is a blessing because being able to, uh, like the, the walking into mutual dependence with other people. Like I have some friends who uh, they don't have babysitters and grandparents and they don't have tons of expendable income, but they've uh, formed a partnership with, um, so it's like uh, two households, one of them's a single mom, one of them's a couple, and they just trade babysitting with each other hmm. on a regular basis and it's not always for, like, the purposes of romance. Sometimes it's for the purpose of, like, going and doing Costco for 90 minutes without someone <laughs> yanking at your shirt. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so I think finding those relationships where you can hmm. do some rest swapping. Yeah. Where especially, like, uh, I'm obviously very locked into the young parent season where uh, I love my kids and I really appreciate them. And there's awareness of, like, I go to work, and to some degree, it's a break from the harder work of mm. parenting. And other people who are uh, parenting all day long, just going, needing a break from your kids 
is not you being a bad dad or a bad mom. It's trying to walk in small ways and like the yeah. the restfulness we've been giving and God. And so uh like I have been telling people like go to a gym with childcare and get a podcast and a book and pretend you're riding the bike and <laughs> just yeah. like receive uh, without guilt rest as investment. Yeah. Yeah, when it seems like these four, I mean, they do interrelate and they cascade off each other. And, you know, um, but I would bet for different people, you might even have like one that's like the the real catalyst. Yeah. Like if this one gets 20% better, it'll actually help all of them get 20% better. Yeah. Um, that might be physical rest depending on the person. I mean, it, it, I, that, I just, that might vary depending on the pe- person. But I think that would be another place to start is to say, okay, Getting well rested in all four of these areas. Okay, that's daunting. But like, is there one that might actually have a ripple effect? Okay, then give some attention to that. Yeah, there's that podcast that I think we've recommended before, Heaven in Your Home. Mm-hmm. And there's like four episodes on it that I send up guys in my season of life all the time. One of them is like cultivating intimacy when you have young kids. Mm-hmm. And there's not, and it. She talks about how like they're spending all this money on date nights. Like, and they're realizing, like, this is not what we need. And so instead they started, like, finding hotels and taking naps during the day. <laughs> yeah. This is what we need. We need to be able to take a nap. And so instead of hiring a babysitter to go to dinner, they'd hire a babysitter so they could go take a nap at a hotel. And so so that, to me, is more a good example of don't get locked into what your rest has to look like. Yeah. Like, be assess your personal and household needs and try to be creative in finding ways to do that. Yeah. And the rest that's available to you will vary from season to season yeah. and just receiving what you can in the season you're in is the key. So as you think about your sabbatical, yeah, you hopefully get to experience a good amount of all these kinds of rest. Is there, is there one or so that you're like, this is the one I'm really most looking forward to. Yeah. So there's a week that I'm going to go by myself to my grandma's house in Pine Top. And we grew up going there for vacations because basically what we could afford to do. Yeah. So I get there and say hi to grandma within 30 minutes. I take a nap like by program. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's in my body, you know, and which is different, you know, cause my, they're, my kids are at the perfect age where they could like destroy themselves everywhere in that place. Cause it's kind of a cabin in the woods and my wife did not grow, grow up going there. So she doesn't have like this like bodily connection associating the place with the rest. And so, but I do. Yeah. And and so Taylor and I are trading off hmm. uh, like isolation time, which okay. we don't do a ton of. Yeah. And I'm going to do a stretch long I've ever done. And Taylor's going to do a stretch long she's ever done. And so part of it is like the experiment of it hmm. is exciting to me because I'm like Taylor and I are talking like, if we do this and we come back and we're like, never again, then it's like, okay, now we know. But we've never tried yeah. to do uh, two, three, four nights by ourselves apart from each other or the kids. We've never done that. Yeah. When we've been somewhere, it's like with people for work doing something. So, so I get kind of geeked on the experiment mm. with forms of rest. Yeah. Cause I'm going, even if it goes bad, then you just don't do anymore. If it goes great, then you're like, Hey, let's try to work this in once a year. Yeah. Cause it'd be good for it. So I'm geeked out on the mm. trying something out of the box. Yeah. Well, man, we hope it's great. And, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to hear what you learn through the process. I, I had some mentors years ago who were like, you know, they were reflecting on what you were saying earlier about all the people flaming out. And they said, you know, they basically, it's interesting. They basically said, uh, they didn't know about this 
conversation we're having. But they basically said, if you apply this conversation, you won't burn out. You know, if you Sabbath regularly, if you take vacation, if you get emotionally self-aware and spend time in those things. I mean, they've just, and so I appreciated that. At the same time, I feel like there were things I learned through the sabbatical that I only could have learned through the sabbatical. Um, that extended time to experiment with stuff, to, you know, be not productive. I mean, all that stuff, it just teaches you a lot about yourself. And so um, I think you will get meaningfully good rest that will, you know, pay dividends in the future. Yeah, I've told people. And you also learn some fun stuff. Yeah, I've told people I'm really excited about the first half. The second half, I'm nervous. I'm just going to get antsy and fidgety. And I think you use the language for me, you're going to have a crisis of (laughs) non-productivity. Yeah, maybe you won't. <laughs> most most people do, but I bet I will. I feel like if I see, but but I think that's what's I think that's what's smart is if you had the full like, okay, I got a three or four weeks of nothing right out of the gate. I think it would really be a crisis of non-productivity. My sense is that some of the things you're going to have planned will actually get you into a place where you're, you know, it, it'll be some of the rest from functioning. Yeah, you know, and you'll actually be able to do nothing and have it not be so difficult (laughs) you know so yeah it'll be fun great all right well uh seth i guess we'll see you in a couple months and uh everybody thanks for listening uh have a restful summer see ya (laughs)